Amen. Well, let's uh, let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter eight, and as we're continuing here in the book of Matthew, you know we find ourselves here in an event that has many lessons and applications for us, and we know the Word of God is definitely rich with application and with truth. And so the hope is that when we leave this place that we can actually just apply it to our lives and that we would each live by the words that we hear. You know, we're going to be talking about a storm today. We're going to be talking about a storm that Jesus and his disciples experience. And as we talk about storms, we know that there are various storms that that hit our lives. We know that as we look at storms, we know that they, they actually come uh, in our life, whether they be one by rain or one that is just, uh, that comes to, to just bring pain and sorrow. And so, you know, as we talk about the weather storms, we know that, you know, in this coming uh, winter, as well as spring, we're expecting, you know, one of the biggest storms that will hit California since 1997 and in 1998. And we know that it is called El Nino. And we know that El Nino will bring rain that we desperately need. But we also know that the rain that is going to be coming from El Nino is actually going to bring destruction as well as unforeseen catastrophes. And so we can think of these heavy rains and heavy storms but we also know that they give us really a visual, a visual of hardship and destruction as well as struggle and pain. And when we think about this, we know that we can easily apply these same principles into our lives. Because we know that storms also bring us the same type of hardship, the same type of struggles, the same type of pain and destruction that will be around us. See, the disciples, they're going to experience a, a heavy storm. And this heavy storm that will come is going to bring destructive weather. But we also know that it's going to bring them a storm that, or the storm is going to bring them a, just a, a threat when it comes to their lives. And so, you know, as we begin to look at the storms of, of life as well as the storm that we're going to be looking at here in, in Matthew. How many of us, as we bring this home to our hearts and to our lives, how many of us here are currently in a storm of life? Show of hands. You know, as we see many hands that are going up, it, it just reveals to us that, that there is storms that go on within our lives. And many of us are in these storms and there's many of us that are coming out of a storm. For those of you that didn't raise your hands, you know that as, uh, as we've been in storms, we know that we're coming out of storms. And we know one thing about storms is that storms keep coming back. Okay, they keep coming back. They don't go away. You know, ever since the Lord brought the heavens, uh, brought the clouds and brought the rain upon this earth, we know that the storms have continued ever since, just like El Nino that will continue to come back. As we look at storms, I want you to know one thing is that God wants to speak to us today loud and clear when it comes to storms. And as we look at storms, I want you to know, and I want us to take comfort in this, is that God is greater than the storms that we face. And if we learn to trust Him, we can overcome as He calms the storms around us. Okay? Let me repeat that. That God is greater than any of the storms that we face. And if we learn to trust in Him, we can overcome as He calms the storms around us. When we look at Matthew here, we're going to look at a few verses. And these verses that we're going to look at they're, more, they're not more than four verses. But understand this, when we look at these verses, even though they are short, 
It doesn't mean that they have no content or no substance because they are actually very rich when it comes to the lesson and the principles that Jesus wants to teach us. These are extremely powerful lessons for us, verses for us to apply in our lives. And when we go through them, you'll see the lessons and as well as the principles that the Lord wants to teach us when it comes to the storms in our lives. So with that, let's go ahead and begin to read here in Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 23. And it says this. It says, Now when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. And then his disciples came to him and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. But when he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the man marveled, saying, Who can this be, that even the winds and the sea obey him? You know, as we finish here, we're, we're talking about this storm, this storm that Jesus and his disciples are in. And as we look at this, right, there are many principles for us to learn. Principles to live out, principles of trust, principles that will help us overcome in his strength and in his power. And so for those of you that like to write, for those of you that like to take notes, you know, we're going to give you seven points today. And these points are extremely powerful points. They're, they're points that, that we can take outside of this place and to begin to exercise and to live out. The title of today's message, so you know, is Overcoming the Storms of Life. Okay? And as we began to read here in verse 23, it talked about the storm that, that they were in, that storm that came. But in order to, to understand or to begin to get the points that Jesus has for us, there's a very important point that comes to us, not here beginning in verse 23. So we're going to move a couple of verses back to verse 18. Okay, so let's go ahead and read verse 18 here in Matthew chapter 8 and see the, the point that Jesus wants to make to us. It says here, And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Okay? So we have Jesus here. He, Jesus is giving a command to depart to the other side. Before we get into the point, let's, let me give you some insight as to where Jesus wants him to go. As we read this, as we were here last, uh, we were in Matthew 8, it tells us that Jesus was there in, around the city, around the Sea of Galilee. And one thing about the Sea of Galilee, just so you know, the Sea of Galilee is actually 13 miles long and 8 miles wide. Okay? And as Jesus is telling the disciples, we need to go to the other side, as we discussed last week, the reason he says this is that there were a multitude of people that were following Jesus. There were, you know what, just so many people that were following Jesus. And as we discussed last week, for those of you that weren't here last week, we actually looked at the people that had the cares of this world. Jesus revealed to us how these people cared about comfort, how these people cared for riches, these people cared for family, and they all made a choice, understand this, not to follow Jesus, but to follow their cares. Imagine that. They rejected Jesus to go after the cares for their comfort, for their riches, and for their family. And so we have, this, these, we have the events that took place before Jesus says, you know, let's go to the other side. And so as we see this, right, I want to now talk about the first point or the first principle that Jesus has for us today. As we read verse 18, he says that he gave a command to depart to the other side. 
The first point when it comes to the storms of life is this. Is that it is Jesus that leads us into the storm. Okay, that's point number one. Principle number one is that Jesus is the one that leads us into the storm. He's given here the, 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 the command to go to the other side and he knows what's coming. He knows that there's a storm, so he's actually giving a command to go into the storm. And I do want to share this with all of us, is that I don't want us walking away in thinking that Jesus creates every storm. Because, see, Jesus doesn't create every storm. I want you to know that. We create some of the storms that we are in by our disobedience. Okay, so I want you to know that. But those storms that Jesus has for us, the ones that he creates, are the ones that that, that he actually leads us into. And as we look at 1 Peter, 1 Peter gives us some insight on the storms of life. And look at what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. It says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what we have here is we have here just these trials that we're hit with. And then Peter's reminding us that, you know what, there's, don't be surprised by these trials that you're in. You know what, there's a testing that takes place, right? He's talking about a, a testing of our faith, a, a, a genuineness of our faith that needs to be revealed. And it needs to be revealed to bring, as it says, praise, honor, and glory to the Lord. When we look at these trials, right, when we look at these storms that we go in, who likes this part of our Christian life? I don't think many of us raise our hands we like the outcome, right? We, we see the growth, but we don't like going through the storm. And if we're honest to ourselves, we find this very difficult. But I want you to know this. When it comes to the storms and to the trials, to the fires that you're in, they are essential for your walk. They are essential in your Christian life. They are essential for you to grow and to mature. And these tests or these trials and these storms, they're for our own good. Let's go back to faith and these trials that we go in. See, there is always a testing of our faith. Okay? And this is why there's the storms that we face. This is why we go through trials. And I want to share this with you because it's a very important point. What good is faith if it is never tested or if it is never exercised or if it is never given the opportunity to grow? See, what good is our faith? See, we need to have the testing. We need to have it. We need to exercise it. And we need to have these testings of our faith so that it can grow our faith. So when we look at that, right, I mean, there's much to meditate on that. You know, what good is our faith if it isn't tested or if it isn't exercised or if it is never given the opportunity to grow? See, as it grows, understand this, is that it brings praise, glory, and honor to the Lord. And this is what He wants to do. He wants to continue to shape us and mold us. And in order to accomplish this, to to become more like Him, He has to put us through the storms. And this is what's so amazing about all of this, right? Because the next point that we have is, is something that Jesus wants to reveal. And this is when we begin to come now into verse 23. As it says there, Now when He got into a boat, His disciples followed Him. What's amazing about the storms that we face, I want you to know this, which is point number two, Jesus is in the storm. Okay? Understand this. Jesus is in the storm. See, verse 23 tells us that Jesus got into the boat with his disciples. So what Jesus is trying to show us here is that 
when we go into the storm, He is with us. See, many times we think to ourselves that, you know what, we're in this alone. How many of us always think to ourselves, the storm that I'm in, the trial that I'm in, I'm in it alone. But I want you to know this. Jesus doesn't lead us into the storm and then bails. He doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't say, you know what, this storm is so crazy and so hard, I'm only going to let you go through it, and I'm leaving. Because, you know what, I don't want to suffer through it. I don't want to go through it with you. See, these storms that are destructive, understand this. Jesus is in it with us. See, He will be with us in the storm, and He will be in the storm with us. We can take comfort in this, right, as we see it, as we see Jesus getting into the boat as they're about to face the storm. And Jesus speaks to us on this in prior, in other, in other verses here in the Bible. And in Hebrews chapter 13, he has the same message for us, but given in a different manner. There in Hebrews 13, beginning in verse 5, in the second portion there in verse 5, he says, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. See, one thing about Jesus is that Jesus loves you so much that he can't be apart from you. Understand that. When you walk away today, understand this. One of the truths that he wants you to know is that he loves you so much that he cannot be apart from you. It means that He will be with you at all times. Whether you are in danger or not, He will always be with you. And let me share this with you. How many of us, how many of us, that as soon as times get hard, that you have family and friends that split, that say, you know what, goodbye. How many of us come to a place where we know that, you know what, we have family and friends that when, as soon as the times get difficult, right, that the pressure is on, that they say, you know what, you're on your own. I can't be with you, right? I mean, I'm not going to, you know what, I'm not going to go through this with you. There are many of us that have family and friends that have abandoned us when times get hard. But when we look at Jesus, there is no way that he does this for us. See, you and I can always depend on Jesus that He will be with us whether times are good or whether times are bad. He will always be in the boat with you, never leaving you nor forsaking you when the storm hits. And we know that as He gives us this, right, as He speaks to us from Hebrews, He also has another verse where He tells us the same thing, and it's from Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 35. Where he says there, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? See, we have there, right, the fact that the, the love of Christ can never, he can never separate his love for you. He loves you so much he will never abandon you. It doesn't matter if tribulation comes or distress or persecution, famine, nakedness, peril or sword. And then he reminds us, he says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? See, what Jesus is saying is that there is nothing, and when he says nothing, he means nothing no trial nor storm can ever separate you from Jesus. And this is what's so amazing about what Jesus shows us here is that, you know what? He's willing to go in the trial, in the storm with us. So let's, let's look at the next point that he has for us, and it's here in verse 24. He says, And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. You know, as, as we're looking at this, right, Jesus is leading them into a great storm. It says it's a great tempest. Okay, so as he leads them into the storm, he gets in the boat. And now what we see is that, and I want to know, I want you to understand this, is that Jesus is the one that created the storm. 
Why do I say he created the storm? Because see, Jesus, he actually controls all weather patterns. He's the one that allows rain to fall. He's the one that allows lightning to strike. He is the one that makes the earth shake. He's the one that does it all. Everything is in his control. And if Jesus controls all weather patterns, how, how do I know this to be the truth? Let me give you scripture. In Psalm 77, beginning in verse 16, it says this. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you. They were afraid. The depths also trembled. The clouds poured out water. The sky sent out a sound. Your arrows also flashed about. The voice of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea, your path in the great waters, and your footsteps were not known. So as we see this, right, basically what all of this is saying is that they are all in the control of Jesus Christ. And when you look at the lives of, of others, or, or the books that have been written by others, I should say, when you think about this, right, when you think about Job, when you think about Psalms, when you think about Isaiah, when you think about Revelation, many of these books speak about the omnipotence of God. And what, what they're talking about is really the, the power and the might that Jesus Christ has, how He is in control of all things. And this is what's so amazing, right, is that as they went into the Sea of Galilee, that there arose a great tempest. In other words, it is Jesus that brought this storm. And when we look at the word tempest, many of us are wondering, well, what is a tempest? It's not usually a word that you and I use, right? It's not a common thing that when we, when we see a storm or, or when we see this, you know what, these great waves or these tsunamis that we say, look, there's a great tempest. It's not something that we use. And so when we look at this word, God wants to reveal something about about this event to us. And this word tempest, I want you to know what it means. In the Greek, it is a word seismos. And you know what the word seismos means? It means earthquake. This is where we get our English word seismic. So what you have here is you have an earthquake that has been created there in the sea of Galilee. In other words, God shook the ground, and when He shook the ground, guess what? He brought all of these heavy waves and this storm. What happens to us? I mean, I think many of us have seen now on television, right? Let's, let's make it real to us. Whenever there is an earthquake that happens in the ocean floors, what comes immediately after that? The tsunami. So you could imagine the type of storm that they were in. It just wasn't, you know what, like, you know what, like the other night we had a storm that came through. We're not just talking about just a, a weak storm. We are talking about a heavy duty storm. It is a great tempest. It is a great storm. And this is what the Lord is revealing to us. That Jesus led them into a storm, right? As he was leading them and he got in the boat, he created the storm and, there's, and he's in the storm. And it's a great storm that he's in. And it tells us there in verse 24 that the boat was covered with waves. Imagine this. The boat is covered with waves. And so as we look at this, right, as we understand that the boat is covered with waves, we see what Jesus is doing. And what is Jesus doing while the storm is being covered? I mean, while the boat is being covered with water? He's asleep. He's asleep. Imagine this. We're talking about a major storm. It's not just a small storm. It's not a minor storm. We're talking about a major storm. How many of you have ever been startled by somebody throwing a glass of water in your face? What do you do when the, when the water hits you? What if you were asleep? Has anyone ever thrown water at you when you've been asleep? Show of hands. Okay, you know what that feels like, right? And when that happens to you, what's the immediate thing that you do? You wake up, right? You're automatically going to wake up from your sleep. And when that happens to you, when the water is thrown at you, you wake up. But yet we see Jesus here that he is still asleep. 
Think of this, right? Think of what's happening here. You have these waters that are filling the boat. You have these waters that are going on the face of Jesus. You have this water that is just crashing upon him. But yet, he's still doing what? He's still asleep. See, this brings us to the third point. The third point that, we want to, that I want to give you is this. Is that Jesus rests in the storm. Okay? And I want to share what's, what's happened here. And I'm going to get into details on that and what that means to us. Because it has great meaning to us. I want to share this. Jesus himself has a, at this time has a physical body. He has a body like yours and like mine. We have flesh in our body, right? And, and, and on our body, on our spirits. And as we have flesh, one thing that we know is that as we are in these bodies, we know that our bodies get what? Tired, don't they? And remember what I told you about Jesus. Before the storm took place, and we've been covering this now for months now, he gave a sermon, and then he was healing people, and then he was speaking to people, and everybody was pulling at Jesus. And so what happened to Jesus is that he became very tired. His body was tired. And so he, fell, he went on the boat and he fell asleep. He was exhausted. But even through all of this, right, even though he's exhausted, understand this about Jesus, that no matter what, even water falling on him, he says, you know what, I don't care, I'm still going to sleep. Even though he's soaked by the storm, he can still sleep through the storm. And the reason he can sleep through the storm is this. Is that he is in control of the storm. Okay? And what this means to us, this is very important for, for us because as Jesus sleeps through the storm, he's able to sleep because he is in control of the storm, which brings me to the point of this. Is that if he is in control of the storm and he can rest through the storm... He wants us to realize that because He is with us in the storm, that you and I can also rest in the storm. This is what He wants to teach us. This is what He wants to show us. He wants us to realize, as I've been sharing these things, that He is in complete control of the storm. And when you come to a point of realizing that Jesus is in control of the storm, then you can also rest with Him. You and I can come to a place of resting with Jesus. Because as we read before, right, that there's nothing that can separate you from His love. He's never going to abandon you or leave you. And if this is the case, we know one thing, is that He will not allow the storm to destroy you. We know that He never gives us anything more than we can handle, is what we've all heard, right? We've seen it in the Scriptures. We know that, that we don't receive more than we can handle. So Jesus knows all this stuff, right? And He knows, and if we know that He's not going to give us more than we can handle, and if we know that Jesus is with us in the storm, and if Jesus is in control of the storm, because He's in control of all things, then we can rest with Him. See, that's what He's doing. He's resting because He's, he's saying none of this is going to hurt us. I'm not going to allow the storm to destroy you guys. I'm not going to allow the storm to overtake you. And this is why He shares with us, right? That His desire is that we would learn this from Him. This is why He's showing us this. This is why He's saying, you know what? I am asleep because I am resting. And He wants us to learn from Him. Look at what He tells us in Matthew chapter 11 beginning in verse 28. He says this, Come to Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is saying, you know what, when you are so overwhelmed by the storms, when you have all of these trials that you're in, understand this, I never created you to carry these things. I never created you to carry such heavy trials. I never created you to take this upon yourself. See, this is why Jesus is saying, He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You know what? Allow my yoke to come upon you. Allow me to carry you. Allow me to hold you. Allow me to, to walk with you through the storm. See, He says there, He says, and when you allow me to do these things, as He says there in Matthew 11, 
then guess what? You will find rest for your souls. We will be able to rest just like Jesus rested in the storm. See, you and I have an issue with this, right? How many of us, when we're faced with trials and storms, that we have such an unrest that we don't sleep? That we're filled with stress? That we're just constantly, you know what, without rest, right? Just in turmoil and just like, you know what? You have no peace. There is no rest. And so what the Lord is saying, you know what, I want to give I want you to give me these problems. I want you to allow me to take control of the storm that you're in. Allow me because I'm the one that created. I'm the one that did it. I'm the one that put you into it. See, when we look at Jesus, when we look at what he's doing there, he is showing us so many things. And and the next thing that he wants to show us is very important. In verse 25, he says this. He says, then his disciples came to him and awoke him saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. When we see this, right? When we see that that the disciples came to him, right? And they finally awoke him. And they finally said, Lord, save us. We are perishing. I want you to know one thing about the disciples. The disciples were all fishermen. Remember, these were experts. How many times do you think these disciples were in storms? They knew how to handle storms, right? They knew how to deal with these tempests and these storms that that came upon them. They they knew this. And so when you look at it here, how long do you think it was before they came to Jesus? See, I want to look at Mark's account because in Mark's account, it gives us some additional insight. Mark will give us some insight for us to to begin to see something about us when it comes to coming to Jesus. Okay, in Mark chapter 4, let's read beginning in verse 35. It says this, if you turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 4 beginning in verse 35. It says that on the same day, and this is the same account that Matthew gave us, right, which is additional insight. It says, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. I want you to know that as we read Mark's account, we have a different account. Just because Matthew gave us, uh, Matthew gave us his view... And Mark gave us additional points. It doesn't mean that they contradict one another. It's like many of us, right? When someone asks you, what did you see? You see this. And they ask somebody else, what did you see? And they see this. It doesn't mean that they were wrong in what they saw. They just gave us additional insight, additional points. And so as we read Mark's account and we read Matthew's account, they're very much the same when it tells us that Jesus told them to cross to the other side. Right? We see that it's on both, on both accounts. But Mark tells us something different about the boat that they got in. Because when we look at Mark's account, Mark tells us that there were other little boats that were also with him. I want you to understand that there are a lot of little boats during this time in the Sea of Galilee. See, the Sea of Galilee is filled with fish. Even today, you can go out there and, and you get on these little boats and they're fishing and they give you fish to to eat from the Sea of Galilee. But what I want you to know is that there has to be a lot of little boats because the Sea of Galilee, first of all, is not very large. Remember I told you it's, it's 13, 13 miles long, 8 miles wide. And so it's not very, very big. So you have the fact that you have this, these little boats that are there and you have a multitude of people that were following Jesus. And the multitude of people that were following Jesus, they can't all fit in a little boat. And so you needed a multiple, um, uh, 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 I should say, a, a number of boats to, to carry them to the other side. Matthew was just giving us the account of where Jesus was in. But Mark tells us that there were these additional little boats. But what's interesting and what I want to spend most of our time in 
is, is there in verse 37. As we examine this, it says, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. Okay? As we were talking about how long it takes, how long it took for these disciples to go to Jesus. Here it tells us that the boat was already filling with water. Okay? And remember, these are fishermen, so in their strength, they're trying to do certain things, right? They're trying to control their situation. But I want to give you an important insight here. Is that when the storm hits, Jesus wants us coming to Him. Point number four is this. Jesus calls us to come to Him when the storm begins. See, these disciples, I want you to know one thing. When the storm hit, they didn't come to Jesus immediately, right? They weren't saying, oh, Jesus, there's a storm that's coming. All of a sudden, you know what, there's a storm here. Go wake up Jesus. He's asleep. He's going to fall off or, or something's going to happen, right? They waited before they went to Jesus. See, there are, exactly what the disciples do is what many of us do. How many of us are exhausting all avenues of help when we go to our family, when we go to our friends, when we go to our brothers and sisters in Christ, when we go to the pastor? And then, when that doesn't help, then we go to Jesus as our last resort. It happens in our Christian walk. Where we're always going to other people before we come to Jesus. When things are so out of control, when we're so desperate in our situation that we finally say, Okay, Jesus, I need your help. But yet Jesus is showing us here and he's reminding us that when you see the storm that has hit you, we are to immediately go to Jesus. And why are we to go to Jesus? Why is it that Jesus wants us coming to him first? See, if he is the one that created the storm, then he is the one that can end the storm. And what I mean by this is that, see, why are we going to everyone else for help when they don't control the storm? See, none of us here are controlling the storm. It's Jesus, the one that controls the storm. And so why is it that we are going to people that have no power over the storm? See, this is the lesson that Jesus wants us to walk away with. He wants us to know that, you know what, I want you coming to me first because I am the one that is in control of the storm. When we look at what Jesus shows us in the scriptures... Jesus shows us that we are to come to him in confidence, in boldness. Whenever you're faced with a storm, he wants you to immediately come to him. He wants to be that priority. And when we look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, he tells us, he says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, Jesus wants us to come to him. He says, I want you to come to me boldly. What that means is, I want you to come to me in confidence. I want you to come to me by faith, knowing that you will obtain mercy and grace whenever you're in a storm. You have no doubt that I will be there for you in that storm. That I'm in the storm with you. That I led you into it. And I'm going to stop the storm. But there's time sometimes. It, it doesn't happen immediately. But he wants us to come to him. And I want to share this with you. That when we look at the next verse here. Verse, or when we look at verse 25. There's something else that he wants to show us. There's something else that he wants to reveal to us. As we look there, right? It says there that Matthew gave us in verse 25, that the disciples were saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. See, these disciples truly believed that they were about to die. You remember, we're talking about a massive like tsunami. 
This is what we're looking at. We're looking at a massive storm, and yet they're believing that they're going to die. But when we look at Mark, Mark actually gives us some insight as to where we are when we're faced with these storms. Go back to Mark chapter 4, and let's read what's in verse 38. Okay? In verse 38, it tells us this. It tells us about Jesus, that Jesus, it says, but he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? See, Mark, he begins to tell us the position that Jesus is in. The stern of a boat is always the rear of the boat. It is the back of the boat. And he tells us that Jesus is there with a pillow. He's sleeping on a pillow. But then this is the key that we're going to focus on, is what they said. Look at what they said to Jesus. They said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Teacher, don't you care about us? Which leads us to my fifth point that Jesus wants us to know, is that Jesus cares for you in the storm. Jesus cares for you in the storm. How many of us, as we are faced with trials, as we are faced with issues, as we are faced with the storm, how many of us have said to Jesus, Jesus, you don't care about me. Jesus, you know what? You don't love me. Jesus, you know what? You're not, you don't, if you love me, you would carry, you would take this storm away. How many of us have said that? Many of us have said that, right? It goes through our thoughts. It goes through our minds. And I want you to understand this. That that thought that you had is directly from the devil himself. That's strictly from the pit of hell. Because if we look at the scriptures, look at what the scriptures tell us. In 1 Peter chapter 5, in verse 7, it tells us this. It tells us we are to cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. In other words, what he's saying is that whenever you are faced with trials, whenever you are faced with burdens, whenever you have storms, that Jesus is telling us, you know what? Cast your cares upon me. Similar to what we read in Matthew. You know what? That, that if, you know, if you are heavy laden, if you're filled with these burdens, come to him. Take his yoke upon you. Take, take his yoke upon you. For his burden is light and his yoke is easy. See, it's very similar here, right? And if we truly believe his word, then we will understand that Jesus does, in fact, care for us. See, Jesus already shared with us through his word that he doesn't abandon you. And when we look at really what Jesus has done for us, it really settles our hearts. Because think of it this way. Jesus died on the cross for you. Imagine, he was willing to give his life for you. Why would we think that he doesn't even care for you? You know, when we think about this, right? When we think about what we're telling Jesus, when we share just like the disciples, right? When they said in Mark's account that, Lord, don't you care for us? We're dying. You know what they're actually saying? In essence, they are doubting the love of Christ. This is what we do when we say, don't you care for me? When we say, don't you love me? Why am I in this? You are doubting the love of Christ. You are doubting His love. And I want to bring a very important point to you because this is key for all of us that, are, that, 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 are, that deal with, with trying to, to, learn, uh, to, to earn the love of God. See, whether the storm ends or whether the storm con continues, I want you to know this, that the love that He has for you never changes. The love that Jesus has for you never changes whether the storm is on or whether the storm ends, His love for you never changes. He has the perfect love. His love is an agape love. It is the perfect type of love that any of us can ever experience. And I want you to know this, that you cannot do anything more or anything less to change the love that God has for you. Imagine that. You cannot do anything more or anything less to change the love that God has for you. See, when we think about this, right? How many of us are, are saying, well, you know what? If, 
You know what? God loves me less, so I got to do this or I got to do that. Or you know what? If I'm in a trial now, if, if I'm not handling it the right way, then, then guess what? God doesn't love me. I want you to know this. God loves you. God has a supreme love for you that will never change. And nothing that you do will ever change His love for you. And you and I can rest in the truth that God loves us no matter what. And we also, when we see these things or when we begin to doubt Him, we also doubt His power, right? Because we forget that God is actually in control of the storm. That God has actually brought the storm. And that God can end the storm. And so for us, many of us, we begin to doubt even the power of God. So now, not only do you doubt the love of God, but you also doubt the power of God. And so what's the next lesson that he wants to teach us here in verse 26? He says, but he said to them, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? And then he arose and rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was a great calm. I want you to know this. What we have here is that Jesus says something to the disciples. And then what he does after that is that he rebukes the wind and the sea. And I want you to know that as we look at this, as we hear the words of Christ, the words that he gave to his disciples, it leads us to the sixth principle. And the sixth principle is this, is that Jesus has a word in the storm. Jesus has a word in the storm. Okay? And I want you to know how important this is. See, because the storm did not end until Jesus gave them a word. Did you see that? The storm did not end until he gave them a word. When we look at this, right? I mean, think about this. How many of us are listening to what Jesus wants to teach us in the storm? How many of us are listening to the voice of God, to the message of God while we're in the storm? See, Jesus wants to do something in us. There is a purpose for these trials. We talk so that the genuineness of our faith can be revealed, right? So that people can see, you know what, and can see your faith. That people can, that it can bring God glory, honor, and praise is what he said. But there is a, 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 a maturity that happens to us. And, and this is what happens when we're listening to the voice of God and when we're hearing his message as to the things that he is teaching us in the storm. This is why James tells us in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 2, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. When we go through the trials, remember we said we don't like going through the trials, but we like the outcome. See, what, what happens as we go through trials, understand this. That Jesus is saying that there is a work that is going on in and through us in our trials. When you're in that storm, there is, there is a work that is going on. See, Jesus wants you to be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. He's not talking about perfection, spiritual perfection. None of us will achieve spiritual perfection until we face the Lord. What he's talking about here, he's talking about a maturity. He wants you growing. He wants you maturing. And understand this, is that unless you are growing, unless you are hearing the voice of God through the trial and the storm that you're in, it will not end. Okay? I want you to know that. Unless we know the voice of God and the message that He's giving to us through the trial, the storm will not end. See, we know that Storms are given to us, right, as, as we've been looking at us, to deepen our faith, to mature us, to make us complete. But understand this, is that there's a purpose for all of this. It's not just to put you through it. He's not just saying, okay, I want you to suffer through a trial. No, they're there for these reasons. And so what is Jesus teaching the disciples? He is teaching them. He is showing them, as he says there, 
that you guys are fearful. That you guys are walking in fear. That you guys are not walking by faith. See, Jesus wants us to comprehend the reason why we're trials. There's a lesson in every storm that you face. Every storm and every trial that you have, there's something that Jesus wants to teach you. And once you learn it, then the storm ends. What happens to us is that if we don't pass the test, if we don't learn the things that he's teaching us, then guess what happens? We have to take the test again. And we have to take it again. Who likes taking tests? I don't think any of us like taking tests, right? How many of us like to take the same test over again? You don't like taking it. You want to pass it the first time, right? You want to get an A. None of us want to get a, a D or an F that we have to retake it. And this is the message that Jesus has for us. That every storm has a message. And what is the message in your storm? The storm that you're in right now, every single one of you that raised your hand, what is the message in your storm? What is Jesus trying to teach you? The message to the disciples, let's read that, because we're going to look at their, their message, because that message is also for us as we read it, because we're all going through trials, or we're going to go through trials. In Matthew eight twenty six, right here, he said, why are you fearful, you of little faith? But in Mark's account, it actually gives us better insight or better, a better understanding of, of where they were. Matthew chapter 4 verse 40 says this. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Imagine this. God, Jesus is telling the disciples, why are you guys so fearful? Why is it that you have no faith? Imagine this. The disciples right now had no faith. They were in a storm. They were in a trial. They had no faith. And all they were doing was walking by fear. They were in a state of fear. And let's talk about fear, right? What is fear? I think for us to understand this, right, we need to understand what is fear. Fear is an unpleasant emotion. Okay? It's an unpleasant emotion that is caused by danger or pain or threat. So in other words, fear creeps into your life because you sense danger, you sense pain, or you sense threat. Okay? So in our lives, we will experience fear when we allow our emotions to take the best of us. And Jesus is saying, you guys are without faith, you're faithless, you have no faith, you're an emotional wreck. You have allowed fear to take control of your life. And this is where they were. This is where they were. And many of us live by fear. We're, many of us today, there's some of you today that live by fear. You are constantly in fear. And Jesus wants that to end. This is why he's giving us these things. This is why he's speaking about these things. Principle number seven, I'm going to give you this. Principle number seven is this. Jesus wants faith in the storm. Okay? Hebrews 11 verse 6 tells us this, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Okay? Jesus is saying here, You cannot please me if you don't have faith. Jesus is not saying that I don't love you. Remember, just because we don't have faith doesn't mean that He stops loving us, right? When we're lacking faith, it doesn't mean that he's not gonna he's gonna love us less. It just means that we're not pleasing him. Remember that, right? There's a difference between love and please. And here he's telling us that you know what? It is impossible for you to please God without faith. You know, and some of us we know, you know what happens when we're in a trial, right? We we start, you know what, we start ranting and raging and we start becoming upset and we become like like babies and we're, you know what, we're, we're, we're in fear and we're mad and we're upset and we're led by our emotions instead of faith in God. See, the disciples here, they were driven by fear and not faith. They were completely, they allowed fear to take over and they had no faith. And when we look at the fact that Jesus gives a very 
profound statement here where he says that, that you know what? You are fearful and you have no faith. I want to talk about these two points because see, there are many truths in what Jesus is saying here when he talks about fear and faith. As we heard, the first one, I'm going to give you here four points on fear, on faith and fear. Okay, the first point, we read that, right? We read it here in Hebrews 11:6. Faith pleases God. Fear does not please God. Okay, faith pleases God. Fear does not please God. As we see here, right, Jesus is he's upset. He's, he's telling the disciples, oh, you guys are of little faith. You know what? You guys are filled with fear. So we know that when we get that point. The second point that I want to talk to you about is the fact that faith and fear are complete opposites. Okay? Either you're going to walk by faith or you're going to walk by fear. See, you cannot wear the pants of faith and you cannot wear at the same time the pants of fear. You cannot put on the same pants at the same time. They are opposites. They go in complete different directions. And for us as a people, we must know that if I am fearful, I am not exercising faith. Understand that. They are opposites. They are contrary to one another. Okay? So they are opposites. The third point on faith and fear is this. Is that fear will always contaminate faith. Okay? Fear will always contaminate faith. If you allow fear to creep in just a little, guess what it does? It poisons and it destroys your faith. How many of us have experienced this, right? We're walking by faith, right? We're, we're just so high and you know what? We're just like, yeah, you know what? I'm keeping my eyes on you, Lord. And all of a sudden you have a thought that brings fear in and all of a sudden you lost your faith completely, right? Because what does it do? It, it destroys, fear destroys your faith. It contaminates it. It's like a crazy virus that automatically takes control. And you've lost faith. And you're just walking in fear. The first point, fourth point on faith and fear is that faith and fear work like a seesaw. And the reason I say this is because I was just at the park the other day with my daughter, Selah. And at the park, and I don't know, a lot of the parks now are bringing back the seesaw, right? You go up and down. You know, one sits on one side, the other one sits on the other. And, and you push one to go up and the other one, you know, goes down. And, and this is the way a seesaw works. I want you to know that this is the way faith and fear work. Either faith is going to be up or faith is going to be down. Either fear is going to be up or fear is going to be down. See, when our faith rises it's because we keep our eyes on Jesus. When our faith falls, it's because we keep our eyes on the trials and the storm. Our fear rises when we keep our eyes on the storm, and our fear falls when we put our eyes on Jesus. It's that seesaw. And my question for all of you, where are your eyes? You know, where is your faith? Is it up or is it down? See, your faith will conquer your fears. Understand this. Your faith will conquer your fears when you keep your eyes on Jesus. It will automatically conquer your fears. Once you take your eyes off of Jesus, immediately your fears will conquer your faith. See, what's also interesting here is what Jesus says. Or, with the, or the reaction of the men. See, or, or I should say what Jesus, yeah, what Jesus says to them there in verse 27. He says, So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? I want you to know exactly what took place here because this is absolutely amazing. When you look at this great storm. Remember he told us here in verse 23 that there was a great tempest. This was a great storm. It's just not a, a mild sto storm. It's not just, you know, raindrops or mist coming from the sky. We're talking about a major storm. And then in verse 26 it tells us that when Jesus rebuked the winds and the sea that there was a great calm. Okay? 
It was a great calm. When we look at what Mark tells us in Mark 4.41, he says this. He says that, fear, that, and they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? So as we read here in verse 27, is Mark contradicting by saying now they're fearful again? Is he trying to tell us that the disciples are also fearful? I want you to know one thing, that when we look at these words fear, they're very much different when we look at the Greek language. What's so amazing about this is that when we looked at, the, at, at, at what Jesus said to them, when he talked about in verse 26 there in Matthew, he talked about them being fearful. I want you to know what this word is in the Greek. It is a word, delos, which means faithless. Okay, this is the word that he's saying there. He is saying that they are faithless. Remember, that's what we read in verse 26. But then in Mark 4:41, he mentions that they feared exceedingly. You want to know what word this is in the Greek? This is the word phobio, which means reverence. Okay, this is the word phobio, phobio, which means reverence. In other words, they were in awe of Jesus. They were so fearful that they were saying that, you know what? Who is this man that is able to rebuke the storm, the wind, and to bring a great calm? They were in awe. They were just like, man, this is not no ordinary man that is in the boat with us. That there was a fear of reverence and of awe of the man that was standing there. Imagine. It'd be like us, right? If all of a sudden Jesus came to us and he was standing here while we were alive, we would have an amazing fear, an amazing phobia that came upon us because we'd be in awe and in reverence. We'd be so like, man, this is God that is here standing in front of me. This is what they were facing. When we look at the great calm that he caused, remember I mentioned this right there in verse 26. I want you to remember this. I want you to know how amazing this is because see, when we visualize things, and, and this is what I do, like when I read the Word of God, I begin to have these visuals of things. Because see, God's Word is alive, and as it gives us the visuals, we're able to understand it, right? And let's picture Jesus by the sea, let's picture Him getting on the boat, let's picture this huge tsunami, let's picture the boat filling with water, let's picture the disciples telling Jesus we're going to die, and all of a sudden Jesus speaks, and everything calms. This is so amazing. What I want you to realize is what Jesus has done here. Remember, how many of us have a swimming pool here in their homes? Only a couple of you. In your homes, you have swimming pools. How many of you have been at a person's house when there's an earthquake and you see their swimming pool? Anybody been at a home when there's an earthquake and there's a swimming pool? What happens with the waters in that pool? Right? I mean, they're going with force. They're going. <laughs> Remember, Jesus created this earthquake. Remember, the sea is just moving like crazy. And they're, they're in fear of their life. They're so afraid that they think they're going to die. That's how, that's how immense and powerful this, this, this storm was. That when immediately Jesus spoke, there is an immediate calm. And what this means the waters were still. Imagine. Does this, I mean, that's something that we don't, we will never see that right. Imagine. They saw Jesus speaking and immediately there was a calm. The whole Sea of Galilee, there was an immediate calm. I mean, this is amazing. And this is why they were so in awe. This is why they were so, as it says there, they were phobial, right? Because they were just like, man, I can't believe this. Jesus has calmed the waters. This is why they were in awe. This is why they were in reverence. You know, because the water is just like setting a, a glass of water on solid ground when there's no movement and it is still. That's the way it was. See, as we see these storms, understand this. You and I are going to be in these storms. And it is Jesus that will bring the calm to the storm. 
But as we looked at these principles, let's, let's not forget these principles, right? I mean, these principles are, are very much truth as we face the storms, right? That Jesus is the one leading us in the storm. That Jesus is there with us in the storm. And that Jesus is able to rest in the storm. And when the storm hits, Jesus is asking, it's asking us to call upon him as soon as the storm is there. And to never doubt that he doesn't care for you because he cares for you even in the storm. And most importantly, Jesus has a word for you in the storm. And Jesus wants your faith to grow in the storm. Amen? Even though the verses were short, they were powerful with substance and with lessons for us. Every single one of us, like I said, the storms won't end. The storms are going to continue. Just like a Nino that's coming back. They're all going to keep coming. The storms of life, you will have problems in your life. You will have trials in your life. You will have storms that come. And all of these are there for a reason. When Jesus brings the storms, it is so that the genuineness of your faith may bring God glory, honor, and praise. So that you and I can be perfect, lacking nothing. Perfect in maturity. And with that, we're going to close. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for just these lessons that you gave us, Lord. And we know that as we heard these things, Lord, you chose everyone here to come today and all the hands that went up revealing the storms that they are in. I myself are also in a storm. And it is the greatest storm that I have faced. But yet, Lord, as you taught me these things, as I was walking in this manner, Lord, I was able to overcome the storm. Lord, I pray that everyone here, that as they heard these words, that it would hit home. That these words would be written on the tablets of their hearts. That they would remember the lessons and the principles that you gave. But we know one thing, it all begins by surrendering to you. We can't live these principles. You can, we, can't have, we can't overcome the storms unless we surrender to you. If there's anyone here, if there's anyone here that 